Hello and welcome to Sim Radio here on the Sisters in Music Network. It's Monday Music Madness and you're tuned in to Mixing It with Nikki Chris. This is Nikki and in case you don't know anything about me, I'm a singer-songwriter from Raleigh, North Carolina. My show celebrates women in the music and entertainment industry, providing an avenue for them to showcase their talents. Our motto, Sisters in Music, Together We Are Stronger. My guest today is the number one children's musician in South Carolina. She has won multiple radio and songwriting competitions and was selected for showcases in both America's Got Talent and American Idol. She has produced 13 albums and has over 30 songs on the radio. She's been featured as an everyday hero for her three-part music series, Songs to Grow On, and her work with anti-bullying and human trafficking advocacy. She has been assigned in Nashville and New York and toured internationally. Please join me in welcoming Irene Rose. Welcome to Mixing It, Irene. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. You know, it's a new year, lots of hope and exciting to start some new things and reflect on the great past year. Well, that's fantastic, and I'm really excited to share you with everyone. And digging into your background as I prepped for this show, and I think the work that you do is absolutely fantastic. So let's kick this off. How did you get started on your musical journey? Tell us a little bit about your background in music. Uh, Well, I took piano lessons as a kid, like everybody does, I'm sure. And my dad's boss gave me a guitar when I was 17. And I had never asked to play the guitar. I had never even mentioned it, really. But my mom and dad just thought that I would be good at the guitar. So they got me a guitar at 17. And I took one lesson. And a day later, I wrote a song. And two days after that, I was performing at a coffee house. So guitar just came really easily to me. And I've always been a poet and I've always written, but when I picked up the guitar and I saw that it was mobile and I could go anywhere and do it, I didn't have to have a piano there. I think that really expanded the possibilities for me. So I started writing a lot more and gigging a little bit in high school, but really more right after college. Have you always created your, you know, musical creations and your albums in children's? Not at all. So I started writing music when I was, younger. And then I went overseas and I was a missionary with YWAM and I was in New Zealand and Thailand and China and Hong Kong. And I really missed South Carolina. You're a Carolina girl. So I'm sure you can, you know, resonate with that a little bit, but I started writing folk music and country and that was around 23. And so most of my, all my twenties, I wrote and produced country music and that's what got me the record deal out in Nashville. I didn't start doing children's music until I was about mm, 29 and came back to South Carolina. Oh, wow. That's fabulous. I'm going to change. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really great. I didn't realize that you did the country and not the folk stuff. So let's tag on the Nashville aspect because I do know that you were signed on Music Row. I was. Yep, you were signed by a former VP of Sony as both an artist and a songwriter. 
that's unique. Nowadays, it's very hard to get signed in Nashville. And to, to have that and then actually switch from country going to children's is a little bit unique. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that time? Sure. So Nashville was everything that you dream it would be. It is just sparkly dresses and limousines and parties and famous people everywhere. And everyone is super nice and everyone's in the same boat because they're all songwriters and supporting each other. And I would go down to Music Row every morning and I would write for about five hours a day. And then I would go to a music studio in Franklin and I would teach music lessons till about 7 p.m. And then I'd drive back downtown and I would go see my friends play or I'd go sing a show. It was just music morning, noon, and night. And I actually got signed when I was in South Carolina, which is also kind of unheard of. But I feel like I just got dropped right into right into the life that I wanted. But I worked for it for years and years here in Charleston first. But um, I didn't have to go to Nashville and, and pound the pavement and try to get signed because I had a deal before I went. But they put me up in a beautiful mansion, and it was it was amazing. But at the end of the year, I just felt very sad. And I looked at my music, and it was very sad. And I was very sad. And I'm not a very sad person. <laughs> and I thought, if you have a platform and you have a voice and people listen to what you say, you really should be saying something worth saying. And I didn't feel like I was anymore. And to make it in music, you really have to sell your soul. <laughs> your, I mean, not maybe not everybody, but <laughs> the opportunities that were being offered to me were basically sell your soul in exchange for fame. The turning point was a reality show that I was cast on, and the producers told me to say, I have no plan B. My plan B is a Patsy Cline record, a shot of whiskey, and a pistol. And I had been a children's minister for a long time, and I thought of all the children that would see me on TV saying, I would rather shoot myself than not be a star. And I just felt this pit in my stomach. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I thought selling my soul to show business was not a trade I was going to make. So I walked away from a national tour and the show and the record deal. And it wasn't my record label that was pushing me into that. They, they were wonderful, and I'm very, very grateful for them. This was a television production company. But I, I walked away, and I was really sad when I got back home. And I thought, I guess this is over. And I sat at Waterfront Park in Charleston, and I just heard the Lord say, there's so much more music in you. And I began writing children's music, and now I have four or five albums of that out, and it's become much more successful with the kids' music than the country music. And I'm just really grateful that I stood true to what I believe and did not sell out, and I'm on a much better path than what I want to do now. I totally agree with you, and, and I'm so glad that you did do that. I mean, I actually do think that there is a significant market for children's music, and mm -hmm. I can only, I'm not going to guess which show it was, but I can only imagine. Fooey on them, right? Because to put you in that situation is, is totally not cool. But I have actually heard that with some of these uh, reality television shows, how they actually kind of make you sell your soul. And it's all, yeah, um, you know, what you can turn out and how fast you can turn it out. So kudos to you. Well, it's, for on, it's based on the premise that it's your real life. And so, you know, I could kind of justify it, which I did. 
being like, well, I'm just an actress. Like, they just want this gung-ho attitude, and I'm just an actress, so I'll just say it. And if I had been an actress, maybe I would have. But it was being passed off on, this is actually Irene Rose. This is actually what she thinks and what she believes, and that's what I wasn't willing to compromise on. And once I saw that side of reality TV, I was like, all these people are just being fed lines that really aren't them. (laughs) Right. Well, good for you sticking with your guns. I love it. Love it. Thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah, so you've done the children's music now. You have several albums. You've traveled all over the world. Tell us about your time with Youth with a Mission Creative Performing Arts. There is a good story there. So I was 23, and I had just graduated college, and I went overseas with a program called Youth with a Mission, and we trained in New Zealand, and we did our ministry outreach to China, Hong Kong, and Thailand. And I went to Thailand, and I was so hot. I was so sick. We had lice in our hair. We had mice in our room, rats running through the orphanage in the middle of the night. There was no air conditioning. Half of our team was in the hospital. And I was so miserable. And I just really wanted to quit. I really wanted to go home. And I thought of all the people that had supported me and had financially supported me to go over there. And it was the middle of the night. And there was a broken keyboard, almost like a toy keyboard. And a bunch of pieces were broken. And I got up in the middle of the night and I start, and I went and I wrote this song called If I Don't, Who Will? And it was about saying like, yes, everybody could quit. Everybody could go, go home. But I have the love of Jesus in me that I need to tell people that have never heard. And if I don't, who will? So I wrote this song. And months later, I'm in China. And we're at a global missions conference. And or no, Hong Kong, actually, in Hong Kong. And I feel in my spirit, like, I'm supposed to sing this song. But there are thousands of people at this conference. And I thought, I'm not going to go up and ask if I can sing this song. And I felt it all day. And then I'm standing next to the director, and I hear him talking to someone. He goes, I don't know what we're going to do tonight. They got sick, and our performer can't perform, so we got to fill it. And I don't know what we're going to do. I thought, okay, this is my chance. I better do it. So I said, hey, I have this song. I said, all right, come and audition. So I went and I auditioned, and he starts crying. He's like, that is the perfect song for this conference. I want you to do it. I'd never sung a performance that big. I think it was about 4,000 people. And the cameras were all in my face. I was terrified. <laughs> and, I, and I sang this song, and it went really well. And then just scores of people came up afterwards, and they were like, Irene, I was so nervous about going on the mission field. I was so nervous about what we were doing, but that song pushed me over the edge, and that song gave me the courage to do it. And, like, thank you. That song changed everything for me. And I just was so humbled to know that, like, my weakness and my pain and my vulnerability of, like, I want to quit turned into something that inspired other people. But, see, that's the uniqueness and the difference I actually think as to what separates what I would call cookie cutter songwriting and songwriting that actually people can emote feelings to. So that goes back to, again, you walking away from Nashville because Mm -hmm. I know that it's same structure same organization, same type of group of people in the room over and over and over and over again. And there's no uh-huh. uniqueness. And the, and a lot of times there's no feeling 
in the performance. Right. And when you can take something that means something to you and turn it into a song and then you perform it. The emotion's going to come through. Awesome. I love that story. That's such a beautiful story. Is that song available out on your Spotify or can people purchase it? You know, it actually isn't. That's not one that I've recorded. I know there's no way to hear it. No, I have two country albums and four children's albums out, but that's not on there. I, I maybe should take that one to studio, though. See, tidbit, take it to studio, take it to studio, because it's definitely relevant now, right, with a lot of things that are going on. Yeah, it's just like, be the voice of change that you want to see in the world. If not you, who? If not now, when? Everybody always thinks somebody else will do it. And there are people that are more qualified than you. But, you know, change happens when you're bold enough to say, I'm not the most qualified, but I'm willing and I'm going to do it. Exactly. Oh, you should record it. You should record it because <laughs> now I really want to hear it. I asked that question on purpose because I wanted to go check it out no, I probably after have like we were done. Somewhere. If I have a rough version somewhere, maybe I can email it to you or something. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Before we get to the first song that you brought with you to share, tell us a little bit about how you became a Spanish teacher without being able to speak Spanish. I became a Spanish teacher without being able to speak Spanish. Yes. So that's where the I'm not qualified, but I'm willing to do it comes in. <laughs> so I I do have a very um, not overinflated sense of uh, ability, but I just I have a boldness that I think, well, maybe I don't know everything, but if you teach me how to do it, I'm sure I could. So I was already the music director for this school, and I saw an email go out saying that they needed a Spanish teacher. It, you know, it's for preschoolers, so it's five and under. So it's really not that complex. And I told the director that I had Spanish in high school, and I know the basics, but I'm not fluent, but I absolutely can teach colors and numbers and days of the week and, you know, things like that. And I can write music. And she just said, hired. So I became the Spanish teacher for the preschool. And there were definitely many days when I was, like, looking at things before the kids came in and thought, how do I say that? And... <laughs> and I ended up writing a whole Spanish album that teaches direct translation because often the children could repeat something in Spanish, but they didn't know what it meant. So my songs say, you know, rojo is red, pink is called rosa, you know, like good morning, buenos dias. And I would say both languages in the song so that the children really were understanding what they were saying. And a lot of the parents told me that they learned more from those songs and from from me from, than from other Spanish teachers that were fluent. So I just I just decided take a chance, learn along the way, say yes, do it scared. You know, confidence gets you a lot further than skill, and you just got to figure it out on the way. Oh, my God, that is awesome philosophy to live by, and that's great. <laughs> and that's a wonderful story. That's a wonderful story. See, and I just learned that Rosa is pink. See? There you go. <laughs> Love <laughs> it's it. It's called context, though which means sing with me, and that is on Spotify, all these little preschool songs. And I used it to help older children, too, in my music lessons. You know, I'd have a 12-year-old, and they said they were struggling in Spanish. And I'd start teaching them my Spanish songs. They'd come back and be like, I aced my Spanish test because of the preschool Spanish songs. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Done, like, the most numbers than the other albums, just because it's educational, I think. 
Well, that actually wouldn't surprise me. I would definitely think that that would have very, very high numbers. Bilingual children's albums are actually very, very popular because I do know quite a few artists and they are extremely popular, like very popular. So it's a great spot to be in. Awesome. Well, it's all on Spotify. Contact conmigo. Sing with me, Irene Rose. <laughs> it's all there. Perfect. Well, this is a great place to share this song. Put it in a song. Do you want to tell us what this one is about before we share it with everyone? Sure. So I didn't get married until about 10 years after all my friends. And I had a baby 19 months ago, and she is the delight of my life. And I was just, you know, finding myself saying, I love you, I love you, I love you all day, and making up all these little cute names for her. And I just wrote this little lullaby for her. I don't know how to put it, so I'll put it in a song, because music is the language that I use. So it's just a little song I wrote to my daughter called Put It In A Song, but it could also apply to a romantic relationship. Just when words fail, music speaks, says the the famous Dove Chocolate rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, here it is. This is Put It In A Song by Irene Rose. I love you more than sunny days. I do. I love you in so many ways. It's true. But the words in my brain don't come out the right way I mix them up and get them all wrong Don't know how to put it, so I'll put it in a song I love you more than lollipops You're a treat More sugar than a lemon drop So sweet Oh, I try and I try, but I get so tongue-tied My brain is like a game of ping-pong Don't know how to put it, so I'll put it in a song I fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-love you I shoo-be-doo-be-doo-be-doo, I do So glad I bum 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 bumped into you The day you came along, don't know how to put it So I'll put it in a song I love you more than lemonade In June Or a fourth of July parade It's true Winter, spring, summer, fall Love you more than them all You're a holiday all the day long Don't know how to put it So I'll put it in a song I I shoo-be-doo-be-doo-be-doo, I do So glad I bum-bum-bum-bumped into you The day you came along Don't know how to put it So I'll put it in a song It's hard to say what you mean to me So I'll sing it in a melody Put it in a song. 
I'm tired and sick of this weather. You'd say, I'm sick and tired of this weather. Well, if you have to say tired and sick to make it rhyme, don't say that. Change it. If you wouldn't say it, don't sing it. That was a that was a really good tip. Yeah, I'd say that was a good one. That is a very, very good one. And now I'm sitting here with all of my lyrics flooding into my mind going, hmm, would I actually say it that way? <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that's a say, good one. Like, no one our age would say, I'm so lonesome and blue, even if it rhymes. Like, that's not the vernacular of today. So unless you're writing it in that style, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's right. Right. For the best way right. to say it. Yeah. No, makes total sense. Good tip. All righty. This is a great place for us to take a short break. Here from a word from one of our partners in podcasting, this is my buddy Tim from Front Range Radio. We'll be right back on Mixing It with Nikki Chris here on Sim Radio. Front Range Radio, playing a variety of indie music, a 24-7 music festival for your ears. You can find Front Range Radio at frontrangeradio.net. And we're back on Mixing It with Nikki Chris on the Sim Radio Network. And my guest, Irene Rose. We touched on this a little bit. You were signed on a reality show. It was about up-and-coming stars. You walked away. Tell us a little bit more about that journey. So a lot of my friends were on this show. I mean, I was friends with a lot of, you know, we're all songwriters out there. So I had a lot of really pretty, talented friends, and they'd been on shows, and they got me on shows. And I had, I had like, worked my way up to this one. And even on the other ones, they were telling us to say, you know, one was a bowling show. And some of these people we had just met that night, and they were like, oh, just, you know, Tell them that you've been a bowling team for eight years and you've known each other since preschool. And, you know, like I've never met this girl in my life. And they're making me say that this girl's my best friend. And we're laughing our heads off about some story about some random guy from our hometown that shows up at the bowling alley in an Elvis costume. And we're supposed to just think this is the funniest thing ever. And it just <laughs> it, it felt so unauthentic. And one thing I do really take pride in is authenticity. And very sadly through my life, they think I'm a bit of an act. I think sometimes they'll be like, when I met you, I just thought you were too bubbly and you were too friendly and you were a little over the top warm. And I just thought that it was not real. But as I got to know you, I saw that it was. And that always hurt my feelings where people think that I'm like not the real deal when they meet me. Because I just am a very effervescent person, and I just love everybody, and I get really excited when I meet people. So being authentic has been a really big priority for me. And with that show, I just felt like I wasn't. And I, they were offering me more money than I had made in a whole year to be on this show per episode. And, you know, in Nashville, I don't know if you know this, but they do not pay you to sing. You have to pay to perform. And I had mm-hmm. been just living on things, and I had been working for, you know, 25% of what I would make in Charleston, not making any money from shows. And I thought, man, this is a lot of money, and all I have to do is just be on this show, and I'll make a year's salary in one episode. And I just, once again, thought back to that verse, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I've seen people I know out there that have done that, and it makes me sad because I'm like, I know that's not you. And I just didn't want to be a casualty of the industry and um, sell my soul to something that wasn't worth it at the end. So I remember driving home to Charleston being like, 
I just committed career suicide. Like, am I nuts? Am I going to regret this? And I have not regretted it. Life is far better than it was. <laughs> Again, I applaud you for being able to walk away because a lot of people probably wouldn't have done that. I don't know that I would have done that. It's tough to walk away from. Love the fact that you were being true to yourself, your true authentic self and being willing to walk away. I wonder if the shows have actually gotten better off behind the scenes authenticity. I don't know. I've never been on one, so wouldn't know. From what I've seen, it's, it's all pretty fake, and they make it look really real, but it's just my experience was that it wasn't real. Mm. I'm sure you're probably absolutely correct. I always wondered what that show, uh, and I'm I'm guessing, well, the only show I know like that was really filmed out in Nashville was the show Nashville. Yeah, I filmed on that show too, not as like a, a star um, actress or anything, but I did get to go to the set and film with Raina and Deacon one time, which was pretty fun. Hmm, cool. Yeah, that's a good show. There's great music on that show. Yes, exactly, exactly. I love the shows that have music on them. So, But that really yeah. wasn't a reality show. It was more like a show. No. Show, show. Yeah. No. So, but right. like they on it really showed the flavor of Nashville because the year I was there was 2012 2013, and there were scientific studies done how it was the absolute worst year in history for country music, and I can attest to that fact because it was all the same song written 15 different ways. It was bro country about trucks and beer and girls in the woods and tight jeans, and it was like every song was the same. And living in Nashville, it would break my heart because I would go to these writers' rounds every night and hear just the most incredible music. And I knew it was never going to get on the radio. But I feel like the show Nashville really featured the real demographic that was being written there. Who's the guy that wrote the song, Keep on Dreaming Even If It Breaks Your Heart? Will Hogue. He wrote a song called Another Song No One Will Ever Hear. And... He played it at Whiskey Jam one night, and all the songwriters who were all just, like, weeping, like, you know, you get it. <laughs> and it, it did become popular for him. That, that's a good thing about Nashville is that the music was really authentic to what was actually going on there. Hmm. Well, now you're going to make me go binge watch it again. <laughs> Find it on Netflix or something somewhere. I don't even know. I can't remember what station that was on, but... Yeah, I'm sure Netflix has it or there's it's on some streaming site. Switching gears, you have and you've done and you also do a lot of volunteer and advocacy work. I know that you've worked with uh, inner city group of girls. You've met the author of Fruit That Last book series. Mm-hmm. You volunteer with Veggie Tales. You know, tell us a little bit about your volunteer and advocacy work and what it means to you. Sure. Well, I have a big passion for the victims of human trafficking. Um, when I was in my 20s, I went, well, earlier when I went to Thailand, I walked through the red light district and I saw, they called them, like, I think they were called the girly boys. And they were, like, males that were dressed like women that were prostitutes. And some of them were grown. Some of them were children. And it was just, they were everywhere. And it broke my heart, but I was young, and I didn't know what to do about it, and I just kind of cried, and I did nothing. And then I went to the Passion Conference in Atlanta, and they had an exhibit called Do Something Now, and it was set up like a brothel. And I watched hidden video footage of men, 
selecting little girls to buy, just lined up and being like, I want number two, I want number four. And I just, in public, was just weeping. And I thought, I cannot stand by and, and, and do nothing. And so I went home and I got together with some of my friends and my sister, and we started something called Stop Traffic at Prom where we organized a bunch of local salons to donate their services on the day of prom. And I worked at a church at the time, and we set up the whole fellowship hall, and all these different salons came, and we had music, and we had food and drinks, and the girls came, and they got their hair done, and they were educated about sex trafficking since those girls, that high school age, is the prime, are the prime target. So we did some advocacy with that, um, and we did that two or three years, and everything that we raised got doubled every year. I don't know how. I mean, God is how, but we would go to donate the money, and they'd be like, oh, there's a matching donor for this specific week that you donated. And so we just felt like it was really we were doing the right thing in that all of our efforts really were compounded. I've also volunteered with Operation Underground Railroad, and we did a big screening of a documentary at the Music Hall downtown to raise awareness. Sadly, I think that it's become even a bigger problem than it was 10 years ago. I think it's like a $32 billion a year industry. I'm not sure if that's quote is correct, but it's everywhere. Yeah, it is. I think it has gotten worse because I do know that there is actually, even in my area, there is a lot of about trafficking. It's actually gotten pretty prevalent, more so, I think. to know what the tricks are. Like, I feel like I am from a small town in South Carolina, very sheltered, great parents. And I feel like I've had brushes with it probably three times where it could have happened to me. And I feel like that allowed, that was allowed to happen to show me, even you, Irene, even you little sheltered homeschooled girl, this could happen to you three times. And it's the grace of God it didn't, but people need to be educated and know what the signs are. Definitely. And I think today it's even more important because of social media. I Mm -hmm. often think that young girls specifically putting themselves on social media, taking pictures of themselves, selfies, posting here and there, TikTok, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. anybody can go out there and look. All you need is an account. And you conceivably immediately become a target. Right. And girls are, you know, it's born into us to want to be beautiful and to want to be praised and to want to have attention. And, you know, that's another thing that I teach one of my songs called I Am Loved. And it's just about that intrinsic value that you are valuable and you are loved because God made you, not because of what you look like or what you do or how you perform, but for who you are. And, you know, sex trafficking is just a symptom. The, the epidemic is, is people <laughs> and mm-hmm. not, not seeking that validation and knowing I am validated with my clothes on <laughs> and, and men knowing their masculinity and their, you know, just that they don't have to, that they don't have to be a slave to that, that there's respectful ways of dealing with people. And, you know, it's a much bigger problem than I can fix, but shoot, I'm going to do what I can. Well, I think it's fantastic. It's a great program to support and be involved in and I applaud you for your efforts in that area. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. You're quite welcome. All right, let's get to another song. Let's okay. talk about Grump Eponymous, 
tell us what this is about. Okay, so I was at a party, and there was this little baby that was just being really, really cranky, and her grandma was on her way to change her diaper or something and said, well, she's just being a little crankopotamus, isn't she? And I thought, crankopotamus? I have never heard that word. That's, that's fun to say. So I wrote it down in my phone, and I changed it to grumpopotamus. And the thing about uh, the rain is true. I hate the rain. It makes me ultra grumpy. I mean, an inordinate amount. I'm like, no, it's raining. I don't want to go anywhere when it's raining. But it teaches children, you know, there are so many things you can always complain about, but how to turn them into something to be grateful for. And when you count your blessings, you realize that there's so much more to be grateful for than there is to grumble about. The bridge is just don't be a grumpy pants, do a happy dance. So I write a gratitude journal every morning, and I, I get real specific with it, too, where sometimes I'm just like, I'm grateful for my eyesight. I'm grateful for my mobility. I'm grateful for my hearing. I, I heard somewhere, if you had to write a list of everything you're grateful for and you could only keep the things that were on that list, what would you write? And you'll get real specific when you're like, Man, I'm grateful for air. I'm grateful that I can walk. I'm grateful I have a dishwasher. I'm, you know, just think, so many things to be grateful for instead of to focus on what we don't have. I love it. All right. Well, here it is. This is Grumpopotamus by Irene Rose. It was raining when I woke up and I left my lunch at home. I was super duper cranky, just wanted to be alone. All my friends tried to help me, said come and play with us, but I felt myself becoming a grumpy.
blessings and don't be a grupo por Again, another really song, and I love the message. I listened to actually more than what you shared with me. I went out, I did Aww. check out your Spotify, and I love everything that you're putting out there. Everything has a message. Everything is very upbeat, you know, easy to listen to, and I even think adults could get into it. So, awesome. Thank you. I think having a country background has helped with that. Because now that I'm a mom, I listen to Miss Rachel all day. And, I mean, she is fantastic. I would love to meet Miss Rachel because that woman is a wizard. And her songs are awesome. But, like, my husband and I all day were like, hop to the bunnies, hop, hop, hop. I were just singing it all day. And I'm like, get out of my head. These songs are just, they're, you know. And at preschool, the, the parents would be like, Irene, we listen to your songs all day, and I don't hate them. I actually like them. And I think that that, that speaks to the country background in that I know how to write songs that aren't going to make parents go nuts. Exactly. Hopefully. Like the Barney song. I think every parent is like, okay, I'm tired of the Barney song. I don't even <laughs> know if Barney is still around. My kids watch, like, the Wiggles and the Doodle Bops. I know None of those are around anymore either, I don't think. Do you know that the Wiggles were originally a rock band in in Europe? Uh-huh, I do. Yeah, yeah, and they're just, you know, four dads that realized this isn't going to suit their lifestyle anymore, and they became a kid's band. So once again, they had a background in writing adult music and did children's music. Yep. Before we sign off, anything else you would like to share with our listeners? I believe you have an interesting story about an Instagram you want to tell us about real quick. Sure. Um, I was watching this girl on Instagram, you know, and she, speaking of reality TV, all she did was watch reality TV and talk about it. And granted, this girl was funny. She was really funny. But that was her whole life was just watching TV and recapping it. And this girl had, like, millions of followers and sold out stadiums. I don't know stadiums, but she sold out venues. And I just got really jealous, to be honest. And I just started weeping, thinking, like, I am spending so much time and money and effort, like, trying to – pour something valuable into the world and teach children integrity and loving their neighbor. And I am just taking my fingernails, just scraping for some traction. And where I could just talk about trashy TV and get a million followers and make tons of money. And I was just having a pity party for myself. And I started praying about it. And I saw this picture in my mind of wheat and an oak tree. And I thought that wheat springs up very quickly, but it doesn't last very long. And an oak tree takes 30 years before it produces a single acorn, but it lasts for hundreds of years. And so I felt in my spirit, don't compare your crop to someone else's crop, because you planted a different seed in a different time than what they did. And so often we look at other people, whether they're, maybe they're doing what we're doing. You know, it's not always people that are, you know, that are totally different, but we think, man, I should be further along or I should, I should be more successful than I am. And you just can't compare your crop to other people. 
and knowing that you're sewing something different. Um, the other day I was at a party and I was playing this basketball game with all the kids and I kept hitting the same exact number and I couldn't beat it. And I just went, oh, I just can't get past this number. And this little kid looks over from the bunk bed and he just goes, um, I know your song. It says, don't give up. Keep trying even when things get hard. <laughs> I was like, well, yes, sir, I will. So I tried it again and I got the same number. I didn't crush it. And the next time I did it, I exceeded the number. And I just thought, man, kids are really expecting me to live these songs. And I better live them. And I better not quit. And I better get over my little pity party and just keep going and keep trying. We may not be the most qualified, but we can be the most hardworking. I love that. That's a fantastic story. And yeah, trust me, you look at some of the people on like TikTok and then there's some people that have like YouTube shows and even on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? It, you're like, how do they have so many followers? Right. Right. And you know that they have and all kinds of stuff and you're just like, what am I not doing correctly? But I've done the same thing, and, and, and I, like you, you know, sit there, and I'm like, you know what? I was put here for a purpose, and if I write a song that even impacts one person, even though I don't have millions of followers, I've made an impact right. to that one person. And that's what's important. Right. So, fabulous. You're right. Okay, well, where can everybody find you on social media before we close out the show? Sure. Um, on Spotify, it's Irene Rose. On Instagram, it's Irene Rose Music. Um, YouTube, Irene Rose. If you Google Irene Rose Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E, Irene Rose Linktree, all my links are there. I'm Irene Rose on Apple Music, Spotify, everywhere. It should be Irene Rose or Irene Rose Music. All right. I'd like to thank my wonderful guest, Irene Rose, for taking the time to chat with me today. It's really been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for Mixing It. On behalf of all of us here at Sim Radio, this is Nikki Chris. Until next time, keep on mixing it.